Jesus says in Luke 10. Whenever you enter a city and its people welcome you, eat what they set before you. Heal the sick who are there and say to them, God's kingdom has come upon you. I pray the Lord be with you, friends. Let's pray. God, uh, give us ears to hear, eyes to see today, your kingdom. Help us to not just consume information, not be entertained by spiritual delicacies, but to hear and respond to you. We want to repent and believe, listen and obey. We ask for this grace in your name, Jesus, and for your sake. Amen. Friends, today we declare the good news that Jesus invites us into kingdom mission under his lordship. It's a mission uh, that is punctuated with a posture of weakness and dependency and mutuality. This kingdom mission detangles and disarms the bondage to power and our possessions and our popularity. This, what I'll call a colonial Christian impulse that lives in all of us. Mission of the Lordship of Jesus sets us free to minister in Jesus' name in weakness, dependence, and mutuality. Friends, I uh, spent a, a hot minute in South Carolina. It was about, about 10 months. And um, one of the, it was a really hard 10 months for us. I'll share some of that story a little later. One of the best things about that time was uh, my neighbor, a guy named John. Uh, got off, I pulled up in the moving truck, got to our house in South Carolina. We hadn't, we've, we'd opened the door, hadn't unloaded anything from the truck, and my neighbor, John, comes walking over to my house. Now, it's my son, who's six at the time, and my dad, uh, his age isn't as important, and me, <laughs> um, and me, standing in the driveway, and my neighbor John walks over, and he's about six foot, 350 pounds, and he's got like a Tervis tumbler full of what I later found out was bourbon and Coke. It was around 11 a.m. Uh, he introduces himself to us, we're talking, uh, and then he goes on this rant about his dogs, his three dogs. Uh, and no one had lived in the house we were moving into for a while, so he said, my dogs think that your house is my house. So he says to me, he looks right at me, and he says, so if my dogs shit in your yard, you just put your foot up their ass. <laughs> and I thought, Deacon, don't tell your mama about this. Uh <laughs> I, I sort of, I hadn't met anyone like Sean, but, but I was, I knew what to do. Like the colonial Christian impulse to use power and what I had, like my possessions and my affable personality, you know? I knew how to leverage all that to sort of charm and help and um, make God things happen in John's life. Within the hour, I realized, okay, this guy's probably an alcoholic. He's definitely racist. Uh, he's living with his girlfriend. He's, um, 
he, he's a, a bounty hunter, repo man, bail bondsman. So he, he intimidates heroin dealers uh, every day. In fact, that first conversation, he took two calls from people that owed him money. And these are like, these are like the most dangerous people in the county we're living in. And he's talking to them like, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I, I, uh, I realized, oh, okay, I know, I know what to do. Like, I've got a, I've got a, a missional or evangelistic playbook uh, that, that I am used to sort of hearing about and living in and running. Um, the only problem was that none of it worked with John. Well, we, we, we exchanged kind of what do you do there in my driveway, and when he found out, um, I've just learned that it's, you, you just don't, you don't try to tell people you're a pastor without telling them that you're a pastor. You just, you just say, like, I work for Jesus, you know? Um, because it always goes bad later when they realize you're a pastor and you didn't tell them. So I said, you know, I'm, I'm here working with this parachurch ministry. And when he found out I was a Christian, he goes, uh-huh. And I'm telling you, any kind of Christian doing stuff, ministry thing I would try with him, he would literally out loud say, I know what you're doing. I see what you're doing. And he would shut me down. John helped me see that my missional impulses were baked in a, with a colonial or an empire mindset. I needed to be in charge and in control. I needed to give you things that you don't have. And I needed you to like me. And it hindered my ability to love John. Jesus today invites us into kingdom mission under his lordship. This, this is a spiritual empowered mission that's full of dependence, weakness, and mutuality that detangles and dethrones our addiction, our need to be in charge and in control, to have power, to use worldly possessions to meet people's needs, and to be well thought of and liked. Let's look at our text today from Luke chapter 10, friends. This kingdom mission under the lordship of Jesus reorients our relationship to power. If you're in DNA groups, we talk about this as our need for significance. Uh, Luke 10, Jesus uh, commissions and sends out 72. These are unnamed people, right? We don't know who they are. In fact, uh, very, as far as I can tell, not, nobody ever references, none of the apostles reference this sending. So it's probable that they went, but there's a lot of unnamed people that were here. They don't have worldly titles or positions. They don't engage in mission as ones in charge. They're sent out in pairs. So they're going into cities in pairs. So they're completely outnumbered. They aren't overwhelming a town or a beach to evangelize. <laughs> Let the listener understand. <laughs> they are going out in pairs, outnumbered. They're commanded to pray. Literally, the word is plead to the Lord for more workers to be sent out as they go, which is interesting, right? Why would I pray if I'm already going? Jesus is saying, go out in this surrendered posture, this asking for what you're doing. It's interesting, right? Asking the Lord for the workers as you're going out as the workers. 
there's a posture of surrender and of, of being sent and surrendered. So they're outnumbered, they're surrendered, and they're vulnerable, sheep among wolves. So the power that they carry isn't the power that the world uses to make things happen, friends. They are to go embodying and extending the power of God in a posture of weakness. They're outnumbered, they're vulnerable. This goes against sort of a, the Christian colonial impulse that lives in me. Maybe you can relate to this. My impulse is to lead leveraging structural and institutional power and titles, worldly strength for kingdom purposes. I want to make use of power that I can get through positional or societal authority on God's behalf. If I get, if we get this person in this uh, position of power, then God's kingdom will come. Does this sound familiar? The, the colonial Christian impulse and mission is, I'm here, you're welcome, listen up. I'm here, you're welcome, listen up. Kingdom mission says, here I am, am I welcome, I'm listening. Jesus invites us to participate in his mission in weakness, friends. A please help me posture. This dethrones and detangles us from our, our bondage to needing to be in charge and in control of everything. Second, Jesus changes our relationships to our possessions Notice he tells them, take no money, no bags, no clothes, change of clothes or, or, or change of shoes. You have to go relying on the hospitality of the one you're trying to reach. Do you see that? Jesus sends them out intentionally needing to receive from others. Jesus would, his, this strategy would be rejected by 99% of the mission boards in North America. You need to have how much funding before you go? Jesus says, intentionally take no funding. They go not giving, they go intending to receive. Do you see that? See, the, the, the colonial Christian impulse that was baked into me, that John helped me see, was, was one of, um, here, take this. I've got what you need. Here, take this. Open up. The spoon's pretty big, so you have to open pretty wide. <laughs> Should I airplane this in? Like, here, take this. I have what you need. I was chatting with a friend in an unnamed city at an unnamed church who was talking about um, how they were becoming more missional. I was, you know, listening. He said, well, we partner with these 10 churches. We found out that our food pantry in our neighborhood was low on canned goods, and so we partnered with 10 churches for three months, tried to get as many canned goods together that we could, and we, we actually got 20,000 canned goods together for this food pantry, which is amazing. And they said, well, after this... Uh, three-month, ten-church campaign, we decided to host an outdoor worship time 
in the outdoor mall in our community, in our unnamed community, and <laughs> still unnamed arena is what I'm saying. And, um, and we, 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 they, they stack these cans up on the stage. I'm not sure if this was to code or not, but they stacked up 20,000 cans that reached, you know, a couple stories in the air. And they played worship and sang worship and gave testimonies from all these churches, Christians, about what they'd seen God do in this food campaign. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Giving canned goods to a food pantry to help people who are hungry is a good work. But this is the dominant way, dominant imagination, I want to suggest, we have as Christians on how we relate to our possessions. Which is this. The poor, the unchristians, whomever else, right? Whoever else is uh, outside the kingdom of God. Uh, we've got what they need. We need to rally the troops to gather what we need and give it and then celebrate that we were good. But Jesus actually points us a different direction here. I want to say go ahead, give food to food pantries. But there's something that happens when we open up space of needing from other people. When we say, can you help me? Rather than, will you let me help you? There's a, we go from an independence to an interdependence. This may be the most challenging thing I say to a room full of people who are mostly white and live in affluent areas. It is so hard to look at somebody in the eye and say, I need your help. Will you help me? And then intentionally not repay them. Notice, notice that this is part of the kingdom of God coming. In verse 8, Jesus says, heal the sick and then, then say the kingdom of God has come upon you. But that's not all, friends. He says, whenever you enter a city and its people welcome you, eat what they set before you. Heal the sick that are there and say to them, God's kingdom has come upon you. I've always read this as, well, of course, when you heal people, you're just naming that this is God's kingdom. It's full of healing and new creation. And that's half of it. The other half of it is you're eating what's set before you. You're receiving in a relationship of mutuality. That is God's kingdom coming upon you. In fact, that's the, that's the context in which the sick get healed. This is one of the reasons why in 1 Corinthians, when the Corinthians are celebrating the Lord's Supper, where the rich eat all the food and the poor don't have any, this is one of the reasons why Paul says some of you are dying. You're getting sick and dying. Because you're not participating in this way of interdependence and mutuality of the kingdom of God. You're abusing the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. The flip of that is here. When we participate in God's kingdom at a table, we see healing in the kingdom of God breaking out. Friends, Jesus invites us into his mission. That is uh, the, the spiritual power of poverty dependence and relying on others. It detangles and detaches us from our addiction to needing to be benevolent, having the resources to give to others. And we actually have to say, will you help me? We're invited into this mission today. Third, um, Jesus reorders our relationship to power and significance, possessions and like security, 
but also our reputation, our popularity with others. Notice that uh, this ministry is thoroughly unremarkable and quiet. Notice there's no shofar. There's, there's no 20,000 pamphlet drop over Samaria before they arrive. Right? They're not to talk to people on the way. They stay in a house that first greets you. Don't move around from house to house. Not everyone will like you. It's okay. You don't need to convince everybody to like you. Just shake the dust off your feet, which is an ancient Jewish practice of saying, uh, we're not going to enter into hospitality, so I'm not even taking the dust with me. I don't, like, you've decided we're not going to be at peace, so I'm not even taking dust with me. You owe me nothing. Get that? Later, Jesus draws them attention to their names written in the book of life. You, you are oriented rightly with my father. The Christian colonial impulse, though, is different than this, right? <laughs> we want a name and a face and a platform and a radio ministry and people who write sermons for you and do all your research and a makeup person and a producer. We need a big budget. If we're going to do mission, we need a big name and a big arena and lots of money and get as many people as possible in. Um, there's a, a certain church in a certain town who was wanting to build a new building. And they were going to use uh, some green space in the community. And the people had built houses around this green space. And they were not happy that this piece of land was going to be turned into a giant steel and concrete thing. You go from looking at, like, green to looking at a giant building in a parking lot, right? And hearing, you know, Chris Tomlin blaring at speakers at 7 a.m. in the morning, right? So the, the, the neighbors were pitching a fit and saying, we don't want this building built. And the pastor of the church... Uh, went before the city council and he said, uh, hey, look, this piece of this green space is in between the two high schools in our community and those high schools are plagued with mental health issues and drug abuse issues and that's what our church does. We solve those problems. Being in between the two high schools is a great location because they'll have to drive by. Um... I want to suggest that's the kind of relationship to possessions that we're, that we're accustomed to. We've got solutions and answers and help, and we need to put ourselves in the way of you because you need it, even if you don't want it. <laughs> um, ben and I host a podcast, and we've been doing a series on power. And I have been struck with the fact that people have been sharing their stories about Christians' relationship to power in almost every interview we've, we've done. The person we're interviewing ends up talking about spiritual abuse in the church. That a pastor or a Christian leader has betrayed their trust or done something and not taken responsibility for it or hurt them in some way. When I'm hanging with my neighbors 
who uh, several Jewish people, some agnostics and atheists, um, none of them look at me as someone who has something they need if only I would offer it. None of them. In fact, it's actually the opposite. They're actually leery of me because they know I'm a, I get paid to be a Christian and they're kind of waiting for the, the friendship juke that they know is coming. So what does it look like then to go uh, not needing to be well thought of and liked? Well, it looks like when your neighbors or a podcast guest says, hey, uh, the church has hurt me. I want to suggest it doesn't look like saying, not all churches. You should come to the table. Did you get the 20,000 pamphlet drop we did in your neighborhood? It might look like just saying, yeah, that sucks. I'm sorry. We have not done well. You're right. I'm sorry. It's awful. Yep. It's horrible. I probably wouldn't go to church either if that happened to me. I'm sorry. Yeah, we've really mucked it up. No excuses. No, not all churches. No, not all pastors. No, not all Christians. No, but if you really knew my Jesus, nope, it just sucks. Kingdom mission looks different than the colonial Christian impulse. The colonial Christian impulse says, hype, we're here. We're sexy, smart, fun. Don't you want to be with us? Look at my family on the website. Have you ever seen such happy children? Hype. We're sexy, smart, and fun. Don't you want to be with us? Come be part of the, come be part of the cool kids. All it'll take is 10% every month. Versus, hey, I'm sorry. You're right. We suck. I'm sorry. That's awful. I agree. Celebrities, they, they crave platforms and camera time and notoriety, but Jesus trains his followers to shun the spotlight, to do things almost in secret, to act in small, concrete, faithful ways. Those who try to gain an audience, who want lots of people to follow them, like Simon the Magician or the widows at Ephesus, are contrasted in Scripture with those who demonstrate their wisdom by the humility of a good life. James 3. So friends, Jesus invites us today into this kingdom mission. The spiritual power of mutuality and confession even, reckoning with our wrongdoing, receiving from others in a way that doesn't promote or highlight or put yourself forward. This is the way that dethrones our, our bondage to needing to be popular needing to defend our reputation. So, uh, just coming back to John here as we close. Uh, John saw my son shooting uh, basketball 
shooting his basketball into our recycling container in our driveway um, because we're great parents. And he's like, well, that's, that's awful. So he, he sort of called all, his, all the people who owed him money and favors, and he found three basketball goals within 24 hours and took a picture of them and showed me all three, and he said, which one do you want? Brought, brought the basketball goal over for my son. And then he didn't want Cece to be, feel left out, so he bought her a baby doll. John started coming over to my house, knocking on the door, um, always with flip-flops, a bourbon and Coke, and a Tervis tumbler. And he would just come and sit in my kitchen. Ben, you know John. Like, he did this all the time. And he just wouldn't leave. He would just sort of sit there. And so uh, <laughs> I had to figure out how to be friends with John because he asserted sort of by his presence, he had a, he had a large presence and a large body, that we we're going to be friends. <laughs> One night I came home from a meeting late and he was sitting on his back porch and he gestured to me to come over and sit with him. And he looked at me, and he goes, hey, I just want you to know, those Christians you work for, you can't trust them. <laughs> Everything in me wanted to, like, tell him why he was wrong. You know? Not all Christians. Defend, right? I, I had to learn how to listen. Why do you say that? Tell me why you think that. I had to learn how to be curious and open and receive from John. And he told me he, he was raised a kind of fundamentalist, Baptist, sort of independent Bible church. And he, um, his mom took him and his brother to uh, Jimmy Swaggart revivals all the time. And they, they literally had no money for shoes. But she would write hundreds of dollar checks to Jimmy Swaggart. You know, and he was a, a thief, Right. Went to jail, things like that. So I learned a lot about why John didn't trust Christians. And uh, the appropriate gospel kingdom response was not, well, not all preachers. The appropriate kingdom response was, that sucks. I'm sorry. It's awful. One night we were having a, a bourbon together. He had lots of bourbon. <laughs> I had to make a decision, too, to um, uh, whether or not I would drink with an alcoholic. Um, and part of that was also learning some of the things we're talking about. I, within 45 minutes, I knew, hey, if I was God, I'd be convicting John of his racism and his alcoholism. That's what I would be doing. But that's not what God was doing. God wasn't working his life, just not in the way I wanted God to be working his life. So I had to make a decision of whether or not I was going to be offended by his sin or whether I was going to love him. But I couldn't figure out a way to, have to, to be both. Both offended by the things he wasn't convicted of and love, actually loving him. Serving a bourbon one night, and he, he tells me um, after like, a couple hours of conversation, hey, if I, could tell, if I could teach your son one thing, it would be this. Trust no one. My first thought was, well, I'm so glad you're not going to teach my son that. 
That sounds like an awful way to live. You know? There was a sermon at my ready about how that's wrong. And let me, let me correct that thinking. And here's why my son's going to grow up not thinking that. But I, have, I had to learn to be weak, to receive from him to open up a space of mutuality, to eat what was set before me. So I just said, hey, why? Why would you teach him that? And he told story after story of betrayal. Brother running off with his wife, his mom turning him into the cops, kicking him out, a police officer falsifying a report and taking his $80,000 tow truck from him and putting him back into poverty, just over and over and over and over and over again. And so I, I said to him, John, you, it seems like you trust me. Why is that? And he said, because you don't have anything, or I don't have anything you'd want. John was used to people using him and betraying him. <sighs> the day we moved away, he... Um, said he'd help us move. This was the last move we asked our friends to help us with. There's like an age where you stop doing that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, up until like you're 30, you're like, yeah, it'll get everybody together, people will, you know, burn 6,000 calories and have back pain for four days, it'll be fine. And then when you get to be 40, you're like, we can't do this to our friends. <laughs> we don't have enough in the bank to do this to our friends. So this was the last move we had friends help us with. Now we pay uh, other people hundreds of bucks to do it. Um, and, and John came over to help, which meant he sat in the kitchen and had bourbon and bought pizza for everybody for lunch. Everybody left. Truck was loaded. Like, we're ready to drive. We're going to go halfway to Indianapolis. And he's just standing there in the driveway. Won't leave. And he's, I remember he's wearing these Oakleys. And, and uh, you can't see his eyes, but tears are just coming down his cheeks. And he's like, his, his body's kind of sobbing. And uh, I was able to tell him that I loved him, which I'd told him that before, and he'd told me that before. But I was able to tell him that I, you know, I'd moved down here to work with this Christian ministry, um, but I, I learned more about following Jesus by being your friend than I did from them. And when I told him that, he, he like, his body was shaking. This man, this man uh, is a beautiful man. And through this man, God taught me how to be on Luke 10 mission. How to not be in charge and in control how to not need to give people things in order to feel like I'm doing good and how not to be well thought of, but to go in weakness and dependence and mutuality. Friends, where is God calling you today into that kind of mission? Where in your life, where in your life is he asking you to go in weakness and dependence and mutuality? This is one of the reasons we're doing story night Thursday night. We're going to go receive some stories from people. Listen. Appreciate them. Right? 
share and just be present to people. <laughs> Inhabit a space without needing to be in charge, without needing people to know, without stacking all of our benevolence behind us, but just being with people. Let's take a moment as we transition into prayer to ask the Lord, what does mission look like for me? Where is God calling me, leading me out? Into mission. Let's be still for a moment. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and you have fed us with spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart through Christ our Lord. Amen. Go now in the power of the Spirit being sent forth into kingdom mission with Jesus in his posture and in his name, in weakness, in dependence, and in mutuality. Go forth as those who are sent to extend the presence of Christ into the world. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you and remain with you always. Amen.